We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. minutes a day 365 days a year this is the pack a day podcast what is up everybody welcome to the first ever pack a day podcast live here on youtube i am joined by two absolute legends i could not be more excited i am probably the most excited person for this first episode because I get to be talking Packers with Ben Fennel and Aaron Nagler. Of course, you can follow Ben on Twitter at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. I tell you where to follow Aaron, but he's got 101,000 followers. Uh, so you're probably following him already, but you can follow him on Twitter at Aaron Nagler. He is the owner and founder of Cheesehead TV. You can find Ben covering the NFL draft, CBS Sports, NFL Network, the Philadelphia Eagles, everything else under the sun. Guys, how the heck are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Ben? Another day in paradise over here. No complaints from me. <laughs> no complaints other than, uh, you know, maybe a, an abysmal first Packers showing. But we're going to start positive, guys. We're going to start. We have had a lot of time to go over the negatives. It is now Tuesday night. We spent a lot of us spent Monday talking about the things that went wrong with the Packers. I want to start with some positives. Ben, I know you grinded the film. I'm going to start with you. What was maybe one positive takeaway that we had from this first game that didn't go exactly according to plan? Well, I think you got to connect some dots and, you know, stretch some narratives to kind of find some positives. But collectively, we have 16 more games. And the positive that this was, it wasn't in January and it wasn't in December. And that it's not the end of the season and we have to sit on this for the next five, six months. So another opening clunker, but it's a long season, a lot of ball game left, as I've been told in the past. Um, and I think that's the positive, the fact that you get this kind of on the calendar where it is. And nuts and bolts wise, there isn't a whole lot of positive positives. It was an ugly one on Sunday, and I think we all know it. Aaron, any positives that you took away? Yeah, I'll say the play of Kenny Clark. I mean, it is funny to hear and talk all offseason about getting Kenny help, which I think they did a little bit on Sunday as far as the supporting cast around him. But, man, he was a bright spot on a defense that certainly had their issues. There is little doubt that that man came to play, and he owned up front. And not just Bradbury, who he's owned consistently throughout his, throughout his career, but anybody. They tried to put it in front of him one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, they were playing, you know, obviously lots of games. They're going to slide. They're going to pay attention. They're going to double him in certain situations. But, man, any time he was left one-on-one, -on -one, he owned, and you love to see it. Yeah, he did some baptizing to that rookie right guard. And it was a yes, tough week did. for rookie offensive linemen across the NFL. It is not an easy transition to Sundays, the play speed. I saw some very overwhelmed young offensive linemen and some <laughs> disjointed offensive line units out there. I thought defensive lines around the league really dominated on Sunday. It's yeah, fascinating to watch that trend, right, throughout the league as far as the athleticism, the pure speed and athleticism on the defensive side, the defensive linemen in general – that's really tilted in the sense of like, I remember 20 years ago, you had a lot of athletes along the offensive line across the league and there was a lot more cohesion, but man, the athletes have certainly sprung up on the defensive side in the last, like I'd say decade to really tip that balance in my eyes. 
Yeah, totally agreed. And, and Ben, you you posted the video of uh, Kenny Clark. Um, you had about, I think, three different clips in there. But there's the one where he goes through two different guys. He basically discharge, you know, just you know, charges the first guy and then gets to the second guy. Completely goes right past that guy and gets the pressure on Cousins. It was like that all day. Ed Ingram, Garrett Bradbury didn't matter. He was going right through him. I thought he was phenomenal. He was one of the only guys that sh- you know showed up in that 49ers game a season ago too. He carried that right over uh, into this season. I thought he was phenomenal. That was on my list as well. And at least at minimum, Aaron, I know we joked about it the other day, special teams. I know everyone loves DVOA special teams. <sighs> week one, 16th ranked DVOA middle of the pack. We did it. Hey, we made it. That's, hey. that's parade worthy right there. What's what's funny is the amount of times you had to hold your breath watching them almost give up a block uh, in the punt unit. But the fact that they didn't and the fact that yes, there were no catastrophes. That's a step forward. That's a step forward for progress. I'm here for it. I'll take it. No doubt. The next thing I was going to go over was maybe the most frustrating aspect, but I want to go to, because you mentioned the offensive line, and I think it's just a really perfect transition point, Ben, because there was a lot of ugly offensive line play, not just in Green Bay, but kind of throughout the league. And as Aaron mentioned, it does seem like, I feel like we're sort of in a golden age, a little bit of wide receivers and of pass rushers at the moment. There's just so many really good ones throughout the course of the league. But the Packers offensive line, I thought was maybe was easily the worst part of their team this weekend, in my opinion, although the defensive backs maybe gave them a run for their money. Um, but I also thought that that was one of the worst games that they've played collectively uh, really since the Adam Stanovich, Luke Buckus, Matt LaFleur era here in Green Bay. Uh, I'll open it to either of you guys. Thoughts on the O-line play and where they can kind of maybe go from here. I think the only game that gives it a run for its money is the Kansas City game last year. And I know some of that is because they've got a first-time starter at quarterback who can't really get them into stuff the way Aaron could. But, man, that was a rough game. And that it reminded me of that game, actually, in the sense of, like, just what are we doing? Guys running into each other, people just not seemingly working in concert for much of the game. To your point, as a collective unit, they just didn't seem to be on the same page. And I struggle to, like, pinpoint blame there because it did seem to be – almost systemic from whatever the plan was to the execution of said plan to just guys not maybe getting the call. And in that environment, that's understandable, especially with some youth along the line. It just seemed like a a complete nightmare across the board there. You know, I don't think it's any secret. They went into this game with some talent deficiencies, you know, based on injuries, based on offseason, rostering, whatever reasoning you want to point to. And that's happened before. And we've survived and LaFleur's succeeded. This was going to have to be a special LaFleur machine at work for this thing to have worked on Sunday. I mean, they would have had to dominate the run game early, shown the balance, work the motion, the RPOs, the bunches, stacks. This had to be full throttle Matt LaFleur forward to make up for the talent efficiency. But it was just too much. The offensive line unit was horrible. And it's not their fault. Some of those guys just aren't good enough. And that's just the nature of offensive line depth in the NFL, just the nature of taking out two Pro Bowl talents from an offensive line. It's going to be tough to survive, uh, and especially against a really good front seven unit and good competition. And Daniil Hunter and Smith and, I mean, Dalvin Tomlinson looked like, you know, Bruce Smith out there and Harrison Phillips and all that in combination of inexperience and everything on the road in a loud dome just technique-wise. These guys just didn't get off the ball. So, like, they were already a step down. They were talent deficient, and they were overwhelmed from the get-go. And credit to Minnesota because they had their dogs. They had a full D-line out there, and they got after the guys they should get after. But I don't know who I look at that offensive line saying, he let me down on Sunday. Those Some of those guys are second and third stringers in the NFL, and that's what it looks like in the regular season. Yeah, totally agreed. It was – it's disappointing, but it felt like also a perfect storm of crappiness, kind of like you're mentioning. You mentioned <laughs> the crowd noise, and they also get behind 7 nothing right away, which doesn't set the offense up for any success. Um, they are immediately playing from behind. Uh, then you've got, as you mentioned, David Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins out. John Runyon Jr. goes out midway through the game, which doesn't help anything. All of a sudden, you're down 14 points. You're down 17 points, and now all of the play action goes out the window. All the motions, all the all the fancy stuff that Matt LaFleur loves to do doesn't really affect the defense anymore because they're playing too deep, and they don't really care about your your sleight of hand. They're just focusing on not giving up big plays and it just, you know, all of a sudden Z and Daniil Hunter and Tomlinson and all those guys can just tee off 
and it makes it really difficult. And then all of a sudden in trots Zach Tom for his first game and he's got to go against the, you know, triple, you know, or three score deficit. And uh, I don't know, it was just, it, it was not a great look, but as you mentioned, Ben, not, not set up for success. The most heartbreaking thing on the film isn't, you know, Royce Newman getting knocked back or the young right guard. It's the mainstays. You know, I just felt Josh Myers had to play better. Tunyon missed assignments and blocking in the run game. And even like on the perimeter, that little A.J. Dillon swing screen that set up the fourth and one. It's a swing screen. One man blocking. Block the corner in front of you, Tunyon. Completely whiffed. So when the mainstays are then missing their assignments and not playing up to par, it's just papers in the air. It's just one of those Sundays, <laughs> you know, bury right. the tape, whatever moniker you want to go to on Monday and Tuesday. But I'm not so mad at the young guys. That's kind of what I expect it to look like. It was going to take the full Matt LaFleur operation to survive, and it was just too much for, on the offensive side. So, so let's go to Sunday with the offensive line really quick because now it's Packers-Bears Sunday night football. While the Bears also very talent efficient overall, not too bad of a defensive line. They can still wreck some things if you give them an opportunity. Probably no David Bakhtiari, maybe no Elton Jenkins, maybe no John Runyon Jr. This is likely going to be the same group that we saw ending the game last week. So how do they get past that? And even against the Bears team, that's not very good. Is there a way that they can cobble together enough on offense to put up the points that they need to put pressure on Justin Fields in that Bears offense? I mean, I think they got to run the ball. I mean, more than anything else. And I know it's simplistic and I know it's like Stone Age, but my God, let these guys, you're talking about young guys, at least they'll be in a friendly environment. Let them fire off the ball. Let them get their kind of bearings as far as, you know, a little bit of action at Lambeau. It's going to be prime time. Nerves will be definitely part of the equation. But let them fire off rather than constantly retreating, constantly pass setting. And it's not a three yards in a cloud of dust mentality. You saw the runs they had with Jones. They got some explosives out of the run game. I'm not sitting here saying they got to be like Schottenheimer ball, you know. But this idea that, yes, you are kind of behind the eight ball when it comes to the guys you're putting out there let them at least be the aggressors a little bit. I, it's just this constant, I, you know, passive idea of like, you're constantly pass setting, you're constantly pass setting. Eventually. Yeah. You're going to get worn down. You're going to make mistakes. I, I think the, the recipe is simple. Don't overthink it. I talked about this on my stream today. Give the ball to your most explosive players, which are reside in your backfield and let your offensive line do the work the, that they probably are yearning to do would be my guess. Yeah, those two backs need to be featured. And, just you know, the run game wasn't always effective. It wasn't always efficient. But I think lost in the score and kind of the emotionality of the game was actually a pretty diverse run game from Matt LaFleur. He had 17 called runs, only five outside zones. There was all sorts of sweeps and pullers and end around, misdirection. Yeah, pull, yeah. They were, they were everywhere. No question. Yeah. And I love that he does that in week one. I remember him doing that week one against the Vikings two years ago, giving the jet sweeps, doing all that stuff to make opponents prepare from this point on. I expect him to go back to Matt LaFleur and be a stretch team and work all the play action boot, obviously working some gap wrinkles for AJ Dillon, but this was an outlier game. And I love that you get that out early and make teams kind of overthink what you can throw at them. This is a classic Belichick thing as well. When you get into blowouts in the fourth quarter, just start spinning the wheel because you put it on tape. <laughs> opponents right. have to prepare for it. So not saying they were in spin the wheel territory, but I just love in week one, it was actually a pretty diverse run game. And that excites me. Yeah, I think that's fair. And to the point of getting Jones and Dylan more involved, and I've mentioned this on a, I don't even know what podcasts or radio shows or whatever <laughs> anymore, but right. Jones and Dylan, not including Jordan Love's final, you know, garbage time drive, Jones and Dylan, when targeted, handed the ball off to, et cetera, when they've touched the ball or were targeted, 25 touches, 155 yards, one touchdown, 6.2 yards per play. Everyone else, everyone else combined, 31 plays, 118 yards, no touchdowns, two turnovers, multiple sacks, 3.8 yards per play. So probably a good idea. And it's obviously it's more complex than just saying, give the ball to Dylan and Jones every play, but those have got to be your workhorse guys. And clearly Jones needs to touch the ball more than eight times against Chicago this week. Well, there's no question. There's no question. And it's just frustrating from a fan standpoint, when you see it working, when you see how efficient they can be, when they are, matriculating the ball down the field as the old quote goes you know the the idea that 
why you would get away from that until they force you to, until they stop you, until they show you the ability to stop you rather than stopping it yourself. That's what that's what's frustrating as a fan, where you see how it works and how effective it is. And then you just get away from it of your own volition. That That's mystifying. And Minnesota's one of those teams that kind of just dare you to run, too. They, they sit, sit back, back in those two deep. high safety looks. And they're like, the you, got a cute little, you got a cute number count up there. Go ahead and run it for four or five on us if you want to. And Rogers, now, no, no, we need our chunks. Mm. We're down two scores. We're down ten. You kind of have to start moving our offensive philosophy down, down the tube a little bit. And yeah, Aaron and I talked about that the other day of like, it's almost like, you know, they get on tilt and they just like, they need to get 17 points back in one play. And it's, you know, you know, really feeding right into what Minnesota wants to do. They want you uh, to try to attack them down the field because they're playing back. They're playing and you almost have to become more patient at that time, which is like the antithesis of what you want to do. It feels like, all right, we got to score quick, but teams just aren't going to let you do that. And I know that you need to try to get an explosive here and there, but it just wasn't working. And now, Andy, I think some of the extension of the run game is the quick passing game. And when Aaron got the ball out fast and we like to kind of set that, you know, uh, line of demarcation at two and a half seconds, under two and a half, it was 19 to 21 passing. But my issue with that is I don't know who's going to make plays with the balls in their hands on this offense. Yes, I know – Cobb can still catch the ball and get open. He's lacking some juice. And same thing with Sammy Watkins. And I just think when he gets the ball out quickly, it's great and it's accurate. But who's the playmaker now with the ball in their hands? Outside of those two running backs, somebody is going to have to show it and prove it. And that may not come next week. It may not come in October. It may be a slow maturation to figure that out this year based on the way they retooled their skilled players and their reliance on new players and young players, it could take some time. And I also have news for people. It might not work. So you always have to kind of leave that out there as well to say, yeah, we didn't restock with the right players, elite talent, too much reliance on young players or rookies. We should have went the veteran route or made some more high profile uh, acquisitions. So there's a lot to figure out. And I just don't know who the stars in the receiving room are right now. I think they could be there. I just don't know who they are. I was surprised, Aaron. I'd be curious your thoughts on this as well. I expected some of the deep shot stuff and and like the clear outs from Christian Watson and and just because they need a speed guy on the outside that can do that. But to me, the one guy in this offense that really has the potential like 4-2-4-3-40 speed that can get the ball in his hands and really maybe make the defense work afterwards is Christian Watson. I was surprised outside of the one, I don't know if it was an end, I think it was end around or reverse. I forget. end around, yeah. Um, outside of that, they, they really try to get him on deep shots and didn't do some of the crossing routes that I expected. Some of maybe the bubble screens to get the ball in his hands. That's the guy to me that on the outside has the ability to have some juice and maybe take it the distance if he gets the ball in his hands and they didn't really go that route at all. Yeah. I I can't say I'm that surprised simply because of how much time he missed this summer. You know, we love the idea of his athleticism and you see it on display and you do get excited. There is zero doubt. You saw it in that first play. You saw, I think you did see it on the end around, you know, you can see it's funny. They ran that end around and I thought, okay, I think he gained like seven yards on that. That is the classic play that under LaFleur has usually gone for like a yard or two. Like they never have a guy who can seemingly get around the edge and Watson got around the edge. Like he is so quick and you saw the burst. So that tantalizes you, right? As an offensive play caller and a designer, 100% you want to get the ball in his hands. But, man, this cat had zero snaps in the preseason. He barely did teamwork in the camp, you know, towards the tail end of camp. So I can't be surprised that, you know, he didn't feature a lot. I think there were a couple of times where you saw him on, like, he ran some crossers, but it just he wasn't targeted or what have you. As Ben's saying, I think those will come. I think in time he'll get worked a little bit more into the game plan each week, but man, it's, it's going to be a while. I mean, he's very young, he's very raw and he missed a lot of time. It's hard to think that he's just going to step in and be able to be full go in any meaningful way right away. I'd be lying if I didn't speculate if he made the catch, man, that guy's a rock star, you know, (laughs) play one rookie opening day. You make a big play like that on your division opponent on the road. Man, talk about just a complete night and day flip of a narrative. And suddenly you're probably never paying for a drink in Green Bay again. <laughs> the thing. That type of start to your career as a rookie is literally storybook-like. Right. Instead, we got what we got. And I just 
I feel bad for the kid. And that's not necessarily an outlier. This is a kid that fights the ball a little bit, has some drop problems at times, but has shown he can make the tough grabs too. So for every two well, that's what, good ones, right. he's, he's going to let you down. And that's I was going to say, maybe throwing some contested balls because like <laughs> when you watch his college tape, like he's skying over people in the end zone, right? He was too open. He was too wide open. Like we need to get this kid some, you know, some coverage on him. And then I think he'll start because that's what, you know, you would, you would expect this kid to do is athleticism, his hops in the, in the red zone, man. I, I just hope they, you know, obviously Rogers, the trust who knows, but I just hope they give him a couple more chances early. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. I think they will. And, you know, it's clearly Roger's fault for not challenging him on the play. You should have overthrown him a little bit, made him, made him go up and get the ball. So he had to concentrate a little bit further. As opposed to the 70 yard handoff. that. He yes, exactly. It was, it was too perfectly placed, which, uh, you know, that's, that's all on 12, but um, you know, it's funny that you say about the, the, the end around in reverse and him getting around the corner the whole time. I'm thinking like, if that was Amari Rogers, that's tackled at the line of scrimmage and no disrespect to Amari Rogers, but that's just the, Oh, who knows? We got, we got lighter, Fleeter of foot, Amari Rogers. Now, who knows? Never <laughs> know. know. Never know. I hear you. I hear you. All right, not to bring up another poor topic, but Ben, I really want your thoughts on some of the secondary and some of the miscommunications, the coverages, how you thought they defended Justin Jefferson in this game. Um, should they have done something different? Was it personnel? Personally, I was disappointed in a group that's veteran-led with Jerry Gray as you know defensive backs coach. Um, that had all season to prepare for this and to go over their assignments and their rules. I thought Minnesota attacked their rules aggressively and they weren't prepared, ready, or just didn't handle it well. Um, but really curious your thoughts on what you saw on the back end. Well, obviously the communication errors are frustrating. And, you know, I, you know, met with Greg Cosell yesterday before he even said hi from NFL films. He just said, <laughs> Hey, on the Jefferson long play, who do you think messed up there? I said, Greg, you asked me to break down the <laughs> coverage. I don't effing know. <laughs> like it's a combination of everybody out there. It's everybody's fault. In my opinion, that's my assessment of it. I'm not about to break down busted coverage, toughest coverage to diagnose, by the way, because it's not accurate. So right. um, it's frustrating. And then collectively, get it cleaned up, everybody on the back end. And it takes everyone. It's not just dry air. It's literally the entire unit. So not taking anybody or, uh, you know, calling anybody out in particular. I know Jair is taking some heat for that particular highlight play, but um, other frustrating things is some of the personnel decisions by the defensive coordinator, I thought, really set the 
opportunity for the defense to get stops and put them against them. I thought they played too heavy against some light personnel. I didn't think they were aggressive enough. Zero blitzes. Zero times did they send linebackers to the line of scrimmage, send the nickel. Yeah, they had some five-man rushes with their five-man fronts, but not enough dictating aggressive calls on the defensive there side. There it is. Which exactly is that. what you have to do. And I thought their best defensive year was that 2019 team where they were aggressive defensively in disrupting offenses. And that son of a 55, Zadarius Smith, literally did exactly to us what we used with him that season and using him to crash in the line of scrimmage and blow up blocking schemes and dictate the action to the offenses. If you sit back on your heels in this NFL, you will get carved up every Sunday. You have to do something to take them away, make them one-handed, tie a hand behind their back, blow up blocking schemes, have post-snap movement. And I just didn't see anything aggressively, whether physicality or just kind of mental aggressiveness with rotations and trying to confuse cousins. It was very vanilla, a lot of questions with personnel. And I really think it was kind of a let's get back to the lab and reassess everything type of game. Not panic, but really reassess and kind of get back to baseline. What do we do well? What are our best defensive calls when we need it? And who can we rely on? It's madness because if you go and watch, and I highly suggest you don't do this if you're sane, (laughs) but if you go back and watch the week one game from last year, it's not dissimilar in the sense of guys just being on different pages, like especially on third down. I don't know what that is coming out of camp. You know, you want to say, oh, they didn't play in the preseason, but they had a ton of practice time. They had a ton of time together. And for whatever reason, man, both last year and this year, first game out of the shoot, they they are just all over the map. And to your point about the lack of aggressiveness, it is something that is blazingly obvious. And it's interesting to me that early in that game, I think it's the first third down, they come up in a press man look. And Stokes gets beat on that inside move by Jefferson, which is going to happen. But it seems like after that, he got so gun shy. Like they almost never called that look again. They never had the guys up uniformly at the line of scrimmage, I think from that moment on. And it's just baffling to me when you have the talent, the caliber of talent that you have at corner. Yeah, you're going to get beat sometimes. It's going to happen. But you don't call off the dogs, at least if not, if you want to try to dictate. And that was what was killing me is the the sense of pass passiveness, the sense of like, okay, we're going to play our shell. We're going to play our zone and everything's going to let free releases off the line. And we'll just kind of try to mix and match. And they, I didn't, I saw precious little match coverage. Like I just, and to the point about Z is so good and it's crystallized on the play where, Rodgers ends up fumbling when he shoots that gap and the you see Myers is just completely taken aback and has no like he's just gone through that gap before Myers can even blink let alone take a step that's the kind of thing as you say he used to do for us is now doing for them and you saw none of that from Green Bay and that's necessarily a uh you know a Jimmy's and Joe's thing that's more of an X's and O's I could you know spin the wheel on the roster and put a guy in there to do that job in fact, like a, Quay a lot Walker, of, perhaps. Yeah, you, you know? actually put, and I'm not saying Quay or Zadarius, you could put a lot of slugs in that role. That's something mm-hmm. Brandon Spikes did for the Patriots all the time. He was just an A gap crasher and would annihilate centers, throw off blocking schemes, overwhelm running backs, trying to pick them up in pass pro, which Zadarius absolutely annihilated AJ Dillon as well after he smoked through Myers. But it just literally, the play was over. The second Zadarius timed the snap, the play was done, it was busted. Now, unfortunately, Rodgers retreated and ended up getting hit by three, four other guys. But the (laughs) essence of the play was out the window. And, um, you know, I just reflect back to I obviously did the Bengals Steelers game for CBS over the weekend. Jamar Chase had 10 catches and it looks good on paper. Those were a gritty 10 catches. Those were tough to come by. The Steelers did a variety of things that take him away in critical downs. There was brackets, inside outs, high, low, rolling coverage over top of them literally choking his ass off the line of scrimmage and then funneling the help. I didn't see that with Justin Jefferson. This I'm is not the thing. Letting, Thank you. Aaron, Make I'm him not letting work. the guy beat me Make like Make him that. work. No question. Hey, if I have to put you know, my fourth corner on Adam Thielen, if Adam Thielen wants to go for 200 on me at this stage in his career, 
he got me, you know, but I'm not letting Justin Jefferson run scot-free up and down the defense for four quarters with no adjustments or no true aggressive schemes to take him away. And as I mentioned to Aaron, if they wanted, if they needed, uh, you know, an indicator or some help on how to do that, go watch the 49ers tape from last year when they try to take Devonte Adams out of the game in the playoff game. And really quick, Andy, I don't also mean we'll stick Jair on him one-on-one. I got news for you. Jair is going to get his ass carved up too. Justin Jefferson is awesome. Justin Jefferson is insanely good at every phase of receiver. The, watch that first third down, the release, the stem, the stack, the stomping out of the break, the catching the ball confidently in traffic there. I know I think uh, Stokes was trying to funnel him with some inside help. He wasn't trying to separate that high at, you know, at the top of the route. He is a nasty receiver. You cannot let him run scot-free. He is circled as public enemy number one all week. What are we doing to stop and take away Justin Jefferson? And I just did not see that on the field on Sunday. And that was, again, what was so frustrating because you had all offseason. You you got smoked by him in Minnesota a season ago. You got a front row seat to that. You know he's going to be in the division for the foreseeable future. He's not going anywhere. So, yeah, probably have a plan A, B, C, and D for that guy. They didn't. That's frustrating. The other thing, we talked about the vanilla defense, right? If you're going to play a vanilla defense and play a lot of cover four, some cover three, not, not do anything too crazy exotic, you would expect the veterans on this team to have the communications down and how to pass off those assignments. And so to play vanilla and not to be ready for those sort of things was just maddening and frustrating. I can understand a young, inexperienced, talentless offensive line having a rough day. I have a lot harder time when you've got a Jair Alexander, Eric Stokes, Razul Douglas, Adrian Amos, Darnell Savage led group that's having a tough time. And that, that's me was the biggest frustrating aspect of the game. Let's talk about something that may be a little more fun. I don't know if it's going to be or not, but let's try to have more fun. Let's talk about the rookies in this game because we did get some good and bad, from I thought, from the rookie class. We got to see a, a bunch of them. We got to see a lot of Quay Walker before the injury. Got to see a little Devontae Wyatt. We got to see you know uh, Watson on the first play, and then we got to see him a little bit throughout the game. We got to see a lot of Romeo Dobbs. We got to see a lot of Zach Tom once uh, Runyon went down, and we even got to see a little bit of Kingsley and Igbari as well. So I will let you guys take that in any direction that you want, but any rookie that stood out to you or maybe um, caught your eye after week one? I'll say Zach Tom held his own, but man, it's still rough and he's still a rookie. It, it's funny because like going through camp, he certainly played well, and he certainly played extremely well, I thought, in preseason, probably against a lot of backups in those preseason games. But, man, he – he I'm not going to say he had a welcome to the NFL moment, but you could see there were moments where he was a little bit under overwhelmed and clearly, like, thrown into the fire, which, look, totally expected, right, in, in the sense of, like, he probably didn't rep at left guard all week, would be my guess, you know, heading into this game, and then he gets thrown in at left guard. I thought he held his own. I thought he did some nice things. But, man, you talk about, okay, yeah, you're still a rookie and you got a long way to go. Watch Zach throughout that entire second half. Yeah, I thought Devontae Wyatt played well. Unfortunately, only 12 snaps. Those 12, I thought he played with good energy, good effort, got off the ball well. He looked like I have to make the most out of these opportunities. But I'm not going to lie, it pained me to see Dean Lowry out there the first three drives over him. You know, So I wish Wyatt could have contributed more, been more ready, been more of a, you know, mainstay on the D line, you know, heading into this season. Obviously he's not ready as far as the coaching staff feels, or we would have seen him more or at least more designated assignments. Like, Hey, you're just a three tech sub rusher, but every time you get third and medium long, you're out there. I didn't see any roles for him like that to get excited about. Um, but I liked the 12 snaps when he was in there. I'll just build off of that. I think Quay Walker, you know, had a lot of nice plays. This guy is going to annihilate ball carriers when he gets there. Good hits, good speed. It's just the play ID, the play processing, playing a tick slow, first NFL game, second level defender. It is tough business out there. That's a learn on the job position. I'm glad he has Devondre Campbell with him there to kind of, you know, uh, mentor him along. But there's going to be some rough rough games. There's going to be some eye violations. There's going to be some, Hey, he's a tick slow seeing that wait till some teams start throwing misdirection at him, which the Vikings didn't do a whole lot to kind of confuse those linebackers, but it will come at some point. But the second he sees it and goes, man, it's pretty. And you see why he went in the first round. I got a question for you, Ben, Ben, uh, real quick, Andy, I I got a question for you. 
something you you mentioned a little while ago about the personnel matchups, right? What how they responded to what the Vikings were throwing out there personnel wise. Do you think they got caught a little bit trying to be the new version of the Packers defense in the sense of we drafted Quay, this is his role as far as we want to play with more two backer sets because we heard a lot of that throughout the offseason. And it seemed like that hurt them in the sense of trying to match up with some of the speed that the Vikings threw out there. Yeah, you know, they played one snap a dime. So I think the 6DB era is over. That's why you got right. Quay to have more of a mainstay nickel to linebacker group. And now whether you want to play, you know, nickel every snap against 11, 12 personnel, or maybe you should work in your dime against 11, there's some philosophical conversations there. But to play 4-3 base against 11 personnel, I think is like egregious in my opinion. So not only was Quay and Devondre out there, they brought Chris Barnes. And what right. 11 personnel is, just for easy, there's three receivers. Well, that means there's three big linebackers. You literally had Quay Walker over Justin Jefferson. I think you had uh, Chris Barnes having to split out over somebody else on the backside there. It was a bad look. That's a defensive timeout situation in my opinion um so i just thought that was an egregious play in particular but you're going to go through some of that trying to play you know those two linebackers out there against some 11 personnel and they're going to try to get some favorable matchups and all the credit to the vikings they did a great job moving justin jefferson around and really finding and exploiting matchups and um you know i just think the packers had some questionable personnel plays and uh you know we'll see where it goes moving forward only the offense is actually allowed to uh, take pre-snap timeouts uh, in the in the Green Bay system. Exactly. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. They they use two they, they two. Uh, I'm going to call those Aaron Nagler specials. Uh, in, I think in the first half, just beautiful chef kiss offensive timeouts. But poor yeah, there you go. He barely he barely made it through the game. I was ready to rip him <laughs> apart, but he survived. But just just because it was game one. I do want to talk briefly about QB1 because I don't think this was a particularly good game from Aaron Rodgers, but I also have some accident forgiveness when you've got an offensive line that's just breaking down all around you, never gotten any sort of rhythm. You've got Zedarius Smith, as you said, crashing uh, offensive line assignments. He's getting hit a few times. You're down early. But Aaron, I'll start with you. What did you see from QB1 in this game? And was just this an anomaly and he's going to be fine moving forward, obviously. I mean, I think he'll be fine. He's Aaron Rodgers. He's won two MVPs back-to-back, obviously, with Devontae Adams, but we've seen him play very well without Devontae. But what I find interesting is you talk about how this offense has generated points without Devontae seven times prior to this, right? And you go and if you watch those games, you see a really delineated kind of you know read and react Whatever it is, whether it's a, a deep shot or whether it's a you know a rollout off of boot action, what have you, but you see Rogers getting to the top of his drop and letting it rip. You see him get into a rhythm. You never saw any of that. With a, a precious few snaps on Sunday, you saw a lot of ball padding, saw a lot of happy feet. And to your point, I, I can't blame him. You know, you got a suspect O line in front of you. But again, that comes back to the game plan. Like I would, and it was brought into really sharp relief watching the Sunday night game then when Tom Brady's out there and literally hitting the top of his drop and letting it go and hitting his, finding his first, and his first read's not there, hitting the back for the outlet pass rather than, okay, my first read's not there. Okay, I'm going to pat the ball. Maybe someone will come free and then boom, I'm dead. You know, there was way too much of that. And for whatever reason, I don't know if it's week one, I don't know if it's a lack of, game action in the preseason, which is, I think, a fair you know question. Whatever it was, there was no decisiveness in his play. And I suspect we'll probably see exactly that on Sunday night because he's Aaron Rodgers and they'll get it cleaned up. But man, it, it, was, it was hard to watch at times in that regard on Sunday. I'm glad you brought up the Tom Brady because that's the style of play I've been wanting Rodgers to transition to, into. The pocket-passing assassin point guard, the guy that says, I played for such a long time. I know every defense has deficiencies, and I'm going to find it on every play. And that's what Tom Brady does. Tom Brady can play play till he's 60 because he's so good at protecting himself and knowing where to go with the football. That's what I want Rodgers to do. But obviously, his eyes dropping with the lack of confidence in his protection. He's obviously as lacking confidence in his supporting cast. And I'm just seeing a guy that doesn't feel like he has some help around him or some somebody to rely on. 
And I know he survived games without Devontae, but I feel like he still had guys he felt like he can trust and rely on. And I just didn't really see that uh, type of confidence out there. I didn't see him wanting to force feed Randall Cobb. Randall Cobb got open on a couple plays and Rodgers drifted or eyes dropped. And it wasn't like, uh, well, I got to find my guy because I got nobody else out here. I don't know if Rodgers knew what to do out there. I don't know if he knew what to rely on or lean on because all intents and purposes, halfway through the second quarter, the game plan was out the window. So I think they were just coming up with concepts, drive-by-drive basis. There was no play sequencing or anything that really made sense or kind of a maturation of the offense. And it looked like that on TV. And I just, like, I literally have written down a, a two and a half pass, two and a half seconds or more passing. It was three of 13. I said, no, weird concepts, bad protection. I don't know where I want him to go with the ball in this play. A lot of things like that where it's just like, even when he had good protection and was looking downfield, these two receivers are in the same spot. You know, these guys collided. I don't know what they're running here. Like, there's just a lot of strange concepts in the pass game. And I'm putting more on the supporting cast, the play calling, than Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers is going to be fine if he could get that help and trust that. Well, and make it, just make it, just simplify it. It just seems like they want to do so much on every play, right. on every every sequence, every drive, right? Like, if you just make it a, a simple high-low and there's your outlet. Like, he's been doing that his whole life. And now he's got, if you lean into your running game a little bit more, get those backs involved, and just make it simple. Like, and I didn't can, see that, Aaron. Can I didn't see those quick little cutesy no, combos where it's just high-low, read the one defender and make the decision. It was... Well, Sammy's out wide and an isolated route right. in the slot and two isolated routes to the backside. Who's going to win out there? I got news for you. This isn't a receiving core with a lot of winners in one-on-one, <laughs> in my opinion. I think Watson's going to get on top of guys. You notice the plays he went deep? He had about 15 yards of cushion. He's a 4-3 kid. He's going to smoke everybody in that scenario. He eats up the cushion. No, no question. No Is he going to be an elite separator against press coverage? I don't know. I, you know, I think he's going to struggle like most rookies struggle in that type of role. Um, so I just I just did not see those kind of concepts that I wish to see with that receiving core out there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Last question I want to get to. I want to try. We started on a positive. I want to try to end on a positive as well. It's a long season, as we sort of, as Ben specifically pointed out at the beginning. Uh, Green Bay has a tendency to figure this stuff out as the season goes along, but there is no Devontae Adams and you know that that key winner on the outside. Um, they've got some deficiencies right now along the offensive line, and there's just everything seems maybe a little bit more disjointed than than usual. Although same thing week one a year ago, but. I don't know if anyone watched Westworld this season. I think I was the only one, actually. Uh, but there was the, the whole thing. I gave up the beginning of season two. Are you kidding smart me? Man. Okay, okay, with it? Yeah, no, you're not missing anything. But the whole, <laughs> the whole premise of this season was that one person knew that there was one opportunity, one path to success forward, and they had to try to make it so that they got to that one path to success. So that in mind, with my weird Westworld mind, what in your <laughs> – in your mind, is the path to success for the Packers? If I told you in February the Packers won the Super Bowl, what is the path to success and what needs to, you know, not necessarily change. It's week one. It's not like they have to go back to the drawing board. But what needs to happen for them to get to the be the team that they need to be come January and February? Treat Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon as the superstars they can be if they're given the opportunity. And I'm not talking like, oh, you got to run the ball more, although I would like to see that. 
but they are they should be the straw that stirs the drink and they should be treated as such they should be absolutely the a number one a one you know one one a whatever you want to call it every single week when you're drawing up a game plan and i don't care that the whole building knows that you want to get these guys involved they're that good i mean you don't just ignore your superstars they were their superstars were ignored and i don't know if it's because of the position they play i don't know if it's because rogers wants to throw to wide receivers i don't know what it is but man you can't that's mal that is malpractice the, the way they were ignored in that game especially when you saw how they produce when given opportunities you have a everything should start with them said it all summer i'm gonna say it all week they are your superstars treat them as such yeah no question get them involved get the lafleur machine going which run the ball and let all those wrinkles off of what lafleur likes to do with the motion and the rpos and that whole machine going clean up the defensive communications let's get a little bit more aggressive in opportunistic scenarios on defense and then just at the end of the day just get healthy get good players back on the field yeah. i know that's not you know breaking any news or headlines out there <laughs> but i don't see a particularly strong offensive roster with a full health so now you're down some of your best dogs it was rough on sunday they need to get healthy this is not the 2020 21 team with some veterans around rogers some guys that have been there you know some guys that have been through camps and you know, different battles with the team. And yeah, Devontae's down, but he can trust that supporting cast. I don't see that roster. This is a young team. Um, and I know there's the Cobbs and, oh, they got Sammy Watkins though. This is a very young team and it's a contending team. And I find that to be very strange when you look at some other teams around the league that push that throttle forward and say, it's hard to win. Windows are small. We got to push all the chips to the middle. Let's do it right now. I just don't see that with the Packers offense, not to say they can't win. And we've seen, you know, an elite MVP quarterback and a hell of a coach and some really good pieces get it done. This season just has a little bit of a different feel. It's going to have some different hurdles, not to say they can't do it. It's just going to be different. Yeah, hey, I'm with you. I think the health. I also want to say real quick, Romeo Dobbs is everything we thought he was. They just got to give him a little bit more time and opportunity, but he is legit. There's zero doubt in my mind. Do you think some of like the uh, instant impact rookie receivers around the NFL throw off expectations of fans? Yes, a thousand percent. Yes, because yeah, for everyone, that's like you're telling people slow down. He's just a rookie. Well, fans are like, well, what about that rookie that just you know? Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson have completely obliterated expectations. They have completely warped people's minds. Like Dobbs is a real one. Just give him time. He's an absolute. And that's a normal thing. And the guys he had just pointed to. You need to know they are not normal. They are freak shows. They are elite receivers. They were taken exactly. in the first round for a reason, high in the first round, highly coveted, elite in college. They are the outliers. Don't point to an outlier as a trend. All right. Those exactly. kids are special. I think our rookies are on the right track. It's just going to take a little time, a little patience, and that's normal and that's okay. Ben, going back to your point of being like, this is like an all-in season, right? Any of these seasons now could be Aaron Rodgers' last season, and they're clearly trying to win football games. I also find it very interesting in that type of year and that type of season. I know this is just classic Packers, and we should know by now, but 53-man roster with the addition of Caleb Jones today, 13 of them are rookies. 13 rookies on a 53-man roster is a pretty uh, high level of rookies. And it's not like it's just, you know, it's like all first, second, third round guys, right? Like there's a lot, there's four seventh round picks and what, two undrafted guys in that group. So a lot of youth, a lot of inexperience. And it's not, again, those are not like blue chip players. Those are guys that they're developing over time. There's there's arguably four, what, Rashid Walker, Samari Toure, Caleb Jones, um, Sean Ryan, um, who's the other Tariq Carpenter? There's five basically red shirt guys right there on a 53 man roster that aren't aren't there right now to play football games. They're basically red shirt guys. Or, I got know. news for you. Caleb Jones, he looks good in the on the paper and in the box score. If this kid has to see the field, I would be stunned. Stunned if Caleb Jones plays a down in the NFL on Sunday. Oh, no way. No way. I think Tom Silverstein put it out there. Like, they were just worried about him getting picked up because of injuries around the league. Like, someone may have signed him off their practice squad. But I'm with you. As much fun as I had watching him in the preseason, if he plays on Sunday night, something has gone terribly wrong. Right. (laughs) Yeah, no, totally agreed on that. 
Guys, this was absolutely amazing. Appreciate the time. Anytime I get to talk Packers with you, it is always a complete and utter joy. So I appreciate it. Ben, before we get out of here, uh, where can we follow you on Twitter? And uh, what are you working on this season? Uh, you can follow all my propaganda at Ben Fennel <laughs> underscore NFL uh, out on the weekends with CBS, working with Charles Davis and Ian Eagle, heading out to Pittsburgh this weekend for uh, Patriots Steelers, little Mitch Trubisky against uh, Mac Jones. Also oh, doing yeah. a lot of stuff over at the Eagles media department and Fran Duffy, a little Eagles game plan show out there with Greg Cosell, Mike Quick, Ike Reese. And just follow the timeline. You can uh, stay up to speed. And as you all know, the draft is a 365 animal. I'm always talking NFL draft. So if you have a prospect or a team or someone to watch, uh, feel free to send me a message. And Aaron, uh, obviously tell us what you're working on, where we can follow you. And of course, most importantly, the new Cheesehead TV beer. That's what I'm talking about. That's all I want to talk about. Look at this. Come on. Carry the G, baby. That's our Oof. new beer. The official beer of Cheesehead TV. Just dropping tomorrow. You'll be able to wow. get it in the Green Bay and Appleton area. Woodman's, Festival Foods, anywhere in those you mind uh, hitting us with the environs. Specs? What type of beer? What type of alcohol? It's a cream ale. It's a 5.1. Okay. It is. Nice. It is. Uh, I can't. I'm kind of mystified that this is real. Like, we've been kind of whole we've been i've had it bite my tongue for like five months on this so the fact that it's actually now out and i can talk about it is insane so uh yeah if you go to cheeseheadtv.com there's a link at the top of the page just carry the g and you'll find all the information about it where you can find it etc you know i'm on twitter aaron nagler come yell at me like everyone else does it's a lot of fun <laughs> i hope it's easier to find than the uh the alcoholic mountain dew which is still impossible to find so um yeah you, it's Andy out there. herman I'm only you would be jonesing and trying to find. Oh, it's amazing. I found it. It's amazing. I, I have, uh, you know, knowing your taste in anything ingestible, I I'm pretty sure that it's alcoholic. Mountain Dew. Yeah. I just picture someone in their basement, like stirring the giant. <laughs> like, you know, it's just, a, it's just WAP from a college party that they right. put into a Mountain Dew can <laughs> is basically what it is. So. I have zero doubt that is it's, correct. It's amazing. It's really good though. So, uh, appreciate both of you guys. For those of you on YouTube, make sure to subscribe. You can follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. You can follow me at Andy Herman NFL. If you're enjoying this, uh, if you checked out the happy hour last Friday, got another one coming up 4.30 p.m. Central Standard Time this Friday. Special guests, Janelle Mackey, Paul Brettel, and Andrew Murtag. So that should be a really fun time. And it is really tough to top Ben Fennel and Aaron Nagler. So I had to open the pocketbooks and get the big guns. Next Tuesday, joining me live on Packaday Live, same time, 7 p.m., Wes Hodkovitz, Tom Grassi, going to be an absolute party. So who knows what that is going to bring. So make sure to Big check time. that out as well. Big follow time. Ben, I love follow it. Aaron. That does it for us. Thanks so much for following. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go.